Hey, this morning we're actually have been through six chapters, and now in chapter seven, we finally get to meet Ezra, the person in which this book is titled after. So six chapters, and we haven't heard about Ezra yet, chapter seven, we now begin to learn about Ezra and his mission and, and what's next. And Ezra is going to lead a second group of people back to Jerusalem. And so this morning we'll learn about uh, who Ezra is, why he was able to be used by God, a leader to pull off this mission. And it led me to think that, um, you know, who you follow in this kind of a mission is really important, right? I mean, you want to make sure you start to follow the right person. And I remember a time in my life where I um, was talked into following someone who didn't end up being the kind of leader that I thought they were. And I was in college, and uh, the backup quarterback on the football team came to myself and another guy on the football team and said, hey, let's go to Fort Lauderdale, Florida for spring break. And... Uh, my parents have a home, and it won't cost you anything. And so it's like, deal, you know, we're, we'll do that. And so as we get closer, he says, hey, how about since we're staying at my parents' house, you and Joe, the other guy, Big Joe, we called him, um, you guys cover the gas. It's like, fair enough, we'll cover the gas. And a few days later, um, he says, hey, I don't have a car. And uh, could we use your car to go to Florida? Like, my car is not really that great. Does Joe have a car? Joe's from the inner city. Joe doesn't have a car. Okay, I borrow my dad's van. We can lay a sleeping bag down and make the trip to Florida. I take the first leg of the trip, decide about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, I'll take a nap. Joe says he'll drive. I kind of fall asleep only to hear a semi-horn blaring. And I look out the back window, not exaggerating, like three feet from the back of our van's a semi. It's like right against the back window. I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? How fast are you going? He's going 55 miles an hour on I-75 through Tennessee. He says, there's two lanes, they can take another lane. Like, Joe, have you ever driven? He said, well, not much. I'm from the city. <laughs> so Jeff ends up driving all the way to Florida, basically. And when we get to Florida, this uh, wonderful place close to the beach is 45 minutes inland in a retirement community. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not going to the beach every day. We're not going to go have a big party. We're stuck in a retirement community. Remember the gas thing that we'd pick up the gas price? Joe didn't have much money. We washed five mobile homes that week to get gas money to go back. Five days in paradise, not so much. I chose the wrong leader to follow. That's not the case of the story this morning. Matter of fact, God laid his hand on Ezra and decided he was the man who would lead the second group back to Jerusalem. And God could trust him, which we'll learn here in a moment as we look at his life. Three times you'll notice in this passage, and we'll dig in in a minute, the phrase, the hand of God is on Ezra. 
the hand of God is on Ezra. And so as we think about our passage and we look into God's word this morning, we'll discover why God's hand was on Ezra. We'll also discover how God uh, uses Ezra and we'll discover how Ezra knew God's hand was on him. So turn to Ezra 7 this morning. And we're going to walk through the first five verses. I'm going to take it a chunk at a time. Again, there's, uh, like previously, lots of names that are a little strange and some things like that. So I'll take it a chunk at a time and we'll talk about that. And then at the end of the message this morning, we'll do some application. Okay? Chapter 7. Important if you don't have a Bible. I think we have some in the back. Encourage you to grab one, use your phone or your tablet, uh, but follow along with me. Ezra 7, verse 1. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerus, king of Persia, stop for a moment, and you're going to think this is going to take forever in the sermon. If you do this, Jeff, it won't. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerus, king of Persia, After this is an important pause to set up uh, for you this morning uh, the lesson. After this refers to chapter 6, where there was a different king spoken of. You remember? King Darius. A quick history lesson. The Babylonians take captive the people of Israel. They move them to Babylon. Babylon is then conquered by Persia. Okay, while the Israelites are in captivity, King Darius sends the first group back that Ronnie spoke about last week to rebuild the temple. Now it says, after this, in the reign of Artaxerus, king of Persia, there was 60 years almost between the first return and what's going to take place next. 60 years they're in captivity 70 years, 60 years takes place between the first return and the second. So a long time. Think about it this way. Most of you, as I look out over the group, weren't even born 60 years ago. So if I start talking about the Vietnam War and the Beatles' arrival in America, you know, the early 1960s, the president who was assassinated, John F. Kennedy, right? You think about all the things that happened in the early 1960s. You wouldn't be able to relate except to say, I think I read that in a book or my parents or grandparents told me. 60 years took place between the time the first group goes and now Ezra says, hey, we're going to go in a second wave. And you have to think, what are they thinking? What What are we going back to? I, th- I think I remember some relatives that maybe went in that first wave or some of the priests that I knew. Let's continue on. Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zaduk, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meribath, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishu, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. 
This Ezra went up from Babylon. Only thing I want to say about that long list of words, which um, you don't know if I pronounced them right, because I don't know if I pronounced them right, is that there's a lineage laid out for us in this passage. The very first priest, Aaron, Moses' brother, all the way to the last high priest, Sariah, who was killed before the Babylonians took the Israelites into captivity. This is the lineage of Ezra. He could look back on his ancestors as faithful followers and servants of Christ, of God, excuse me, Christ wasn't there yet, uh, faithful servants of God. And so in this passage, um, we're going to continue on at verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. I want you to, for a moment, think about that. We learn more about Ezra and his mission here in a moment. But we first note Ezra's character. The hand of the Lord, and what's it say? His God was on him. This would be easy to miss if you're not careful. Because two other times it talks about the hand of the Lord being on him. But it says here, the hand of the Lord, his God is on him. This gives us an understanding that Ezra knew God and God knew him. There's this personal relationship and connection that Ezra has that's to be noted in this text. This intimate relationship between Ezra and his God was a personal one. And he knew God because he knew God's word. We'll learn in a little bit here that Ezra's a man who studied God's word. You've noticed already, if you're a visitor, we've read and responded to scripture a bunch already, haven't we? And since the very beginning of Substance Church, scripture has been the centerpiece. Scripture is made much of here because it's God's word, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's continue on. Verses 9 and 10. Actually, let's pick up at 7. And there went up to uh, Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which uh, was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylonia on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of God was on him. You see that again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to reach his, and, uh, to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. So, uh, almost 60 years till they go back. It's a four-month journey. We learn that by the months that are given. And it's a 900-mile trip. See why you want to make sure you have a good leader? 
900 miles was about the length of the trip I went to Florida on in a car. These guys walked it, rode horses, um, carried a lot of things with them, four months to make this trip. But the thing that we notice here is that there's this connection to scripture that Ezra was a man who studied God's word, who lived God's word, and also taught God's word. Ezra would be used by God to go back to Jerusalem. Why? The first group went and built a temple. Last week, Ronnie had spoken and said that they even celebrated the Passover. But something was missing. The centrality of God's word was missing on the first group that went back. Isn't it interesting? They're priests, they're Levites, there's these folks that went back who knew how to do the religious services the sacrifices, and yet the word of God was missing. And so Ezra's job is to go back, go back and point people to the word of God. It's reminding to me that we can come to a church building and we can sit and we can sing, we can even recite the scripture on the bulletins. But there's a piece that can be missing if we're not careful, and that's a heart that's set on God and his word. Ezra's mission, go back to Jerusalem, preach and teach God's word, be a reformer, confront sin, preach repentance, be a model of what it looks like to follow God and love God, and do it from the centrality of God's word. Let's look at 11 through 26. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxas gave to Ezra the priest, a scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerus, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now... I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel who, their priests or Levites in my kingdom, who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you were sent by the king and his, serve, and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the gold and the silver that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem with all the silver and all the gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with all the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall, with all diligence, buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem." Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do it according to the will of your God. The vessels that you've been given to you in the service of the house of God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And, whoever else is and whatever else is required in the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. I mean, think about this for a minute. Here's the king comes to Ezra with a letter, a legal document, and says, look, you take a second group back, anyone can go. Anyone. 
Any of the people that have been held in captivity can go back to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a blank check, basically, and that you can go. Any of this gold and silver and things that have been plundered by the Babylonians and that we now have as Persians, we're going to release it to you. Just, just take it. I'm going to send counselors with you. I'm going to give you this official document so nobody messes with you. Go back. Go back and serve your God. There was a reference a couple times here, just so we don't miss it, to the place that your God dwells. You see, up to this point, where did people experience and most closely, uh, closely relate to God? It was in the temple, right? God would show up in a pillar of cloud, and, and they wouldn't know God is present. And so he says, look, go back to the place where your God dwells. Verse 21, and I, Artaxerxes, a king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river, that's Judea and Jerusalem, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in the full in the house of God of heaven. Lest the wrath, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, customs, or toil on anyone or the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gorekeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants, of the house of God. So as they go back into Judea and Jerusalem, they've got the official document, and the king says, look, to the governors and all the people there, you can't tax these folks. And you can keep your hands off of them. Leave them alone. I'm sending them back with money, and you're not going to get any of the money that they're bringing back. Verse 25, and you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hands, speaking of scripture, appoint magistrates and judges who become all the, um, who may judge over all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and that those who do not know them, you shall teach them. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation or the goods or for imprisonment. So not only is the king saying, go back, here's everything you need to reestablish temple worship, here's all the funding to do so, here's all the leaders and uh, religious leaders to carry things out, he says, go back and now live like the people of God. I'm going to tell you, Ezra, go back and teach your people how to live as God's people. All the way to setting up law courts and judgments. You don't have to act like Persians anymore. Go back and act like God's people. Verse 27, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. This is Ezra speaking. 
and who extended to me his steadfast love beyond the king and his counselors and all before the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God. Do you see it? The hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered the leading men from Israel to go up with me. Isn't this an amazing thing that we see? Captivity, 70 years. The first group goes back, builds the temple. It's time for another group to go back. The first time had to be astonishing. This time, even more astonishing. Go back. Worship your God like you know. And for those who don't know, be taught about your God. Ezra, you do that. A pagan king saying to do this. It's amazing. So I want to pull away with a couple of things this morning that are applications from this passage. First and foremost is, just like all of Scripture, hear me, just like all of Scripture, Scripture teaches us about God. And we learn some important things about God in this passage. First, uh, we learn... What God says, God always does. Whatever God says, God does. I mean, if you go all the way back to um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and some of the prophecies that God said, look, Jeremiah 29 says you're going to be taken captive for 70 years, and then you're going to be released to go back. Matter of fact, Jeremiah 29.10 says 70 years. It doesn't say, after a while I'll release you. It says, after 70 years, I'll send you back. And God does that. He leads his people back. Why didn't some go back? Did they not believe what God had said? Were they not shocked that not only the first group goes back, now the second group goes back with even more of everything needed and complete release to live as the people of God? Second thing we learn is that God never lies and cannot lie. Connected to the first one. Hebrews 6.18 speaks of this, that it's impossible for God to lie. Think about that for a minute. Every promise in scripture, everything God says will come true. My problem for us is that I think like some of those who didn't go back in the second wave, the longer time goes, the harder it is to think, well, God could do this today, right? And so we just kind of get on with our business and we forget whatever God says will happen. This passage also teaches us that God always provides a way back to himself. Listen, God always provides a way back to himself, but it's on his terms. It's by his way. It's by his means. So God offers to his people a chance to return to him, yet not all of them return. I'm baffled when I think about this. Time doesn't really allow for us to explore much the importance of Jerusalem and the temple and God's presence. And yet some said, yeah, we're not going to make the trip. Not all went. 
God makes the same offer today. We can return to him. You and I can return to him. But it requires faith. It requires us believing that it was by his means and his ways. We'll celebrate that through communion in a little bit. God always makes a way back. This passage teaches us about the gospel, that God offers a way back for sinful people. The sinful people that were in captivity were in captivity because they were sinful people. They forgot about God. God wasn't their first and foremost thought or love. They tried to blend God into the other gods of their age, and so they were in captivity. And so God would have to make a way back. And God made a way back for us through Christ. His way, his means. Nothing that we could do, nothing that they could do, except believe and make the trip back. This passage teaches us about God's mercy. You know, nothing in them deserved to go back. Nothing. So God didn't give them what they deserved. That's mercy. He could have easily and should have said, you just stay there. You want a captivity? Not a problem. It also displays God's grace. It wasn't by their effort of returning. It was by God working in the heart of a pagan king using his means and his methods to offer to them, here's the way back. And so in returning, it's God's forgiveness on full display for those who return. Forgiveness, full display. You come back. You can worship me in the place that I've always told you I wanted you. Yet not everybody returned. God's sovereignty is on full display in this passage. God will even use a secular ruler, someone who took them captive to be a part of his plan of salvation. I'm always baffled by that. You know, really, you're going to use a Persian king? That's who you're going to use? Yeah. That's who he's going to use. And... He needed to do that to prove to the Israelites that God is in control. A couple of other quick things I want us to think about this morning is when you look at this passage and think of Ezra, we learn that he was a person who had a set heart, the passage says. You know, I was thinking about this as I studied. How did Ezra know that God's hand was on him? This text doesn't say God spoke to him in a dream. It doesn't say that God sent another prophet to him to say, hey, you're the guy who's going to go back. How in the world did Ezra know God's hand was on him? Two things. First, he had a set heart. Second, he was a man of the word of God. That's how he knew. What's it mean to have a set heart? That's what this text says. Ezra had his heart set. It means it was established. It was one-minded. It was fully devoted to God. Not only people saw that, not only does the text describe that, if you read very closely what we did, the king saw that in Ezra's life. 
You know, Ezra would have known because he was a skilled scribe, it says, would have been the first five books of scripture, the Torah. He would have read the Deuteronomy passage in chapter six, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Does that sound familiar? I think Jesus said that, right? Same repeated thing. And so the people that went back before Ezra built the temple needed taught God's word that it wasn't about building a building. It wasn't about making sure you do these uh, religious rituals properly. It's about having a set heart that God wants. And this morning, that's what God wants from us. A set heart. Is your heart set? I mean, mean, is it fully devoted? Is it a heart that says, even though I fail, my desire is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. Some of you here this morning know how to come to church and follow the bulletin and sing the songs, but if you're truthful, maybe your heart's not set. You need to set your heart He needs to be the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. That you love with your heart, your soul, and your mind. Some here today would say, I remember a time when my heart was a lot more set than it is now. And and I've got off track. I, I know that my heart's not set. Well, well, what a great passage to remind us that you can return and reset your heart. And we do that all the time, to be honest with you. Part of what I love when we do this portion in our bulletin of, of confession of sin is not that we do it corporally, it's, it sets a pattern for what we should do the rest of the week. That's resetting our hearts. Maybe you're going to say, yeah, I've got a little lukewarm and I need to reset my heart. Moses or Ezra would go back to proclaim who God is, to remind the people that he wanted to be their God. Not everybody went back. Some didn't go back. I I think there's two things that keep us from resetting our heart or for some of you, setting your heart. It's comfort and it's cost. Why in the world did some stay in Babylon and not go back cost and comfort? You know, it's this many years they had established themselves possibly in pretty nice houses, had some businesses, you know, made some money, maybe had a name in the community. So like, oh, I don't want to walk 900 miles to Jerusalem. This is pretty nice. Well, today, comfort and cost keep some of you from setting your heart. It's costly to set your heart, isn't it? It's costly to reset your heart. It requires repentance and it requires a change of direction. The other thing about this passage that we should know is that Ezra is able to be used by God because he was devoted to God's word. 
when you look at his life, how astonishing to hear Ezra was a man who studied God's word, a man who lived God's word, and a man who taught God's word. You'd be tempted possibly this morning to say, well, that's, that's just so God could use Ezra. You know, it probably doesn't apply to me as much. It does. And I think the big missing connection for us is this. We, we tend to treat God's word, this word that is his word, as more of a textbook than a compass. You know, let's memorize a few verses. Let's study maybe a few things. Let's kind of go on with our life. But when you look at Ezra, he studied it, and then it says he lived it. He's the real deal. Study it. He, he dug in. He wanted to know more about God and who God is and who he was and what God wanted from him. And then he would live what he was reading. How are you doing with God's word? Many years ago, I... Uh, came across Psalm 25 that I had memorized a chunk of that because it reminds me of exactly what the text is saying, living out God's word. Listen to this, Psalm 25, just a few verses. Psalmist says, make me to know your ways, O God. Teach me your paths. Make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. That's a walking process, right? Lead me in your truth and school me. For you're the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. I want a life like that. I want to be not only knowing God's word, but I want to live God's word. Most of us are familiar with 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. It speaks about God's word being God's word. And why we say at substance God's word is the thing we need. You don't need what Jeff thinks or Ronnie thinks or Zach thinks or Scott thinks. We need to know what God says, right? 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It only seems right that if this is God's word, we would believe all that it says, we would trust all that it says, and then we would obey all that it says, if it's God's word, what it is. You have the opportunity to get better at studying and learning God's word, Right? We have community groups, the new ministry starting that we heard this morning. You know, community meet groups meet during the week. We look at the passage that we um, preached on Sunday, and we t- talked all along from how to do that, right? We learned, how do you do it? Do you remember? Information. Oh, it's been a while. We, we try to help you learn to read scripture, not just for ap- application, 
but information. How to look at the words and decide what is God saying and how is this applied to me? God calls us to be people of the word, just like Ezra. We're to be people of the book, all of us. Last and very shortly, as I read this passage and thought about verse 27 and 28, what Ezra did with this letter he was given and this commission by God, look what he does. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. You know, Ezra probably was a little afraid to go back. Here's why. 900 miles of travel with roughly 25 tons of silver, four tons of gold in the caravan, wine, wheat, all kinds of stuff. Who do you think would like to get their hands on that? That was a dangerous trip. There was probably going to be rebellion. There could be danger from storms. I mean, there could be all kinds of things that he could have worried about. And yet, he stops. And he reminds himself of all that God had done. Here's my point. Faith is always strengthened when we look back on God's provision, his protection, and his presence. Yet, if you're like me, I am more inclined to think about the what-ifs that could come than looking back on what God's already done to give me the assurance to follow through with where he's taking me. Ezra does that. He, he, He kind of breaks into thinking, God just used this pagan king and gives me a blank check empties the treasury to go back. How crazy is this? Tells me I can take anyone I want. Yeah, God's doing something. And so he breaks into worship and praise. Faith is always strengthened when you look back on God's presence, his provision, and his protection. So this morning, is your heart set? Are you going to associate most clearly with the group that went with Ezra? Are you going to associate most closely with the ones who stayed behind because it was too costly and it's comfortable? Is your heart set this morning if you decided that you will return maybe for the first time to make God, the most important thing of your life. Have, have you returned and said Christ and Christ alone makes me able to return? Are you a person of the book? Are you a person of the book? You can be. We all can be. And we're all trying, okay? I probably messed up half of those words at the very beginning of this chapter. But we can be people of the book. And let's do it together. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, 
thank you for Ezra and his example. Thank you that you were his God because he had his heart set on you and he knew you and he continued to grow in relationship with you because he was a man who studied your word, lived your word, and then taught others. I pray for those this morning that your Holy Spirit has, has really spoken to their heart this morning that their heart is not set. They need to return to you. That they need to give their life to you and make you their God. That personal, their God. Oh, Holy Spirit, convict them and help them to not be scared to make you their God. I pray for those of us who continue to want to reset our heart. Thank you that you're a gracious and merciful God who continues to give forgiveness as we do that. For those who have been convicted that they need to reset their heart, Lord, give them Give them the prompting by your spirit to do so. And Lord, for all of us, let us be people of the book. Let us grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. May your scripture lead and guide us. Help us not to be afraid to teach those to our kids and our grandkids. Help us to grab others, to go on this journey, to find a Paul that will help us as we grow in Scripture and then to help us be a Paul to someone else, someone a little further behind us to study your word and to grow in it. Lord, that's what we desire. And so we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.